I'm Megan. I'm Christy. And I'm Angie B. And we are We're excited to be back. We hopefully will be returning to our regular scheduled programming. And my nook. And your nook. We missed the nook. I'm way yeah, the things nook. have been a little bit like hectic in all of our lives. There's been a lot of uh, sickness going around, like constantly, weekly, and uh, just a lot of shit that we're dealing with. So, like, I don't understand why there's just been so much shit fire around lately. There's so much, and then there's like this like weird funk kind of like I don't know if you guys feel this weird being in a weird funk or anything like that, but I definitely feel it. I'm just tired, I feel. Like, I feel like the closer we get to Christmas and the new year, as excited as I am, I'm also just tired. The end of the year. Me too. But Megan, you got something for us today. Yes, I have a case for us today. It does include graphic details of domestic violence. And it is not suitable for all ages. So listeners, listeners' discretion is advised, of course. I don't think any of our episodes are suitable for all ages. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we talk a lot about things that are morbid and sometimes very, very, very disturbing. But also, we have the mouths of truckers. For this case, I'm taking us back to April 16th, 1996. A 48-year-old man by the name of James Patterson Smith walked into the Gorton Police Station in Gorton, Manchester, New West England. He told the, the police officers or the officers at the station that he had gotten into an argument with his 17-year-old live-in girlfriend, Kelly Ann Bates, while in the bathtub having a bath, which resulted in her inhaling water and drowning. He also said his attempts to resuscitate her had failed. Police immediately went to James Smith and Kelly Bates' home that they shared together and, in fact, did find Kelly Ann Bates drowned in the bathtub. But what they also found was significantly more horrific and sinister than the results of an argument gone wrong and an accidental drowning in a bathtub. James Patterson Smith, in 1993, was an unemployed, divorced, divorcee, and had a history of violence towards his partners, which only became known after the death of Kelly Ann Bates. James Smith's one and only marriage had ended in 1980, after 10 years because he had been violent towards his wife. The relationship he had following his divorce was with a 20-year-old Tina Watson whom between 1980 and 1982, she claimed he used her as a punching bag, even subjecting her to severe beatings while she was pregnant with the child that they shared. Brutal. Fucking dick. Yeah, she told told investigators, at first it was a little tap, now and again, and by the end, it was every day. He would smack her in the face, hit her over the head with an ashtray. He would kick her in the legs and between the legs. 
Watson managed to escape the relationship in 1982. 82? In, yeah, in 1982, yes. Okay. Watson managed to escape from the relationship during an event in which James Smith, what a name, had also, where <laughs> James Smith had attempted to drown her in a bathtub. Sorry. When that relationship came to an end in 1982, James then started seeing a 15-year-old Wendy Motorhead. Ew. Whom he also yeah. Also, also though, what a last name, Motorhead, right? I know. Yeah. Motorhead. Motorhead. I don't know. Yeah. In one of the attacks, uh, he attempted to drown Wendy in the kitchen sink. So now we're going to time warp now into 1993. James Patterson Smith was babysitting for a friend when he met a friend of the kid that he was babysitting, 14-year-old Kelly Ann Bates. At the time, he was 30 years her senior. He had offered to walk her home. She accepted, and that is when he began to start grooming the young girl. No, never gonna walk home from a man. <laughs> no. At 30 years her senior. She was only 15, 14. Ugh. That, that is so disgusting. Also, ever since you've said time warp, I've got let's do the time warp So now we're gonna learn about Kelly Ann Bates. Kelly Ann Bates was born on May 18th, 1978, in Hattersley, Manchester to a Tommy and Margaret Bates. Kelly had been was described by her parents as a mature, bubbly teenage girl who often got along well with older people. James began to groom her, groom her just at the age of 14, and for two years, they dated in secret behind Kelly's parents' back until she left school at the age of 16. Jesus. When she left school, she moved in with James, and that was when they went public with their relationship. Kelly's parents would end up telling uh, would be would end up saying in interviews that when Kelly told them about her new older boyfriend, she told them that his name was Dave Smith, and that he was only thirty two years old. Margaret, Kelly's mother was later quoted saying of her first meeting with James, and after she realized of his actual age, she said, and I quote, quote, he was much older than I expected. I vividly recall seeing a bread knife in the kitchen and wanting to pick it up and stab him in the back. It was a bizarre thought. I would never normally think of something so violent, and now I wonder whether it was some sort of sixth sense. Looking back, it's my greatest regret that I didn't kill him then and there. I would have saved my daughter's life. Now, question. Do you yes. think you could actually kill someone with a butter knife? Probably. With enough force, definitely. Do you? I think so. I yeah. mean, I don't, I, it's not going to be the first knife. Like, if I'm in a scenario where I'm going to need a knife, it's not the first knife I'm going to pick. But I think definitely I would still not. use it if it was there. I mean, it would be worth a shot. And just aim for the eyeball, maybe. Yeah. So despite Kelly's parents' reservation with the 16, their 16-year-old daughter dating this older man, James presented himself as a concerned and well-behaved boyfriend, often reaching out to Margaret and her husband Tommy with his concerns when Kelly began to stay out all night. 
It did not take long for things to turn around in a big way, though. First, they had learned that Kelly and James had been lying to them, not only about James's name, but also that James was not 32, but actually 48. When Margaret confronted James about the age gap, he responded with, quote, I didn't tell you because I thought you wouldn't want me being with Kelly because of the age difference, unquote. Well, duh. The Dory. (laughs) You know right there that you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Well, right? It didn't take long for their once outgoing bubbly daughter to become withdrawn and her visits to her parents became less and less frequent by the months. When Kelly would stop by for a rare visit, she would have visible bruises on her arms. She was losing weight at an alarming rate and she was not bathing and she was neglecting her appearance. Kelly admitted that James was abusing her, but despite her mother's pleas, (laughs) Kelly refused to leave James. That sounds like a pretty um, extreme level of it, too. Like, just... Eventually, Kelly would stop contacting or visiting her parents altogether in December of 1995. She quit her job, and in March 1996, Kelly's parents received a card from Kelly for their anniversary and a birthday card for Tommy, but only James had written in them. Her parents knew something was wrong, but felt powerless to intervene. Kelly's brother had attempted to visit Kelly at the home she shared with James in Gorton, but he was told by James that Kelly was not home. A neighbor reported that she had asked James about Kelly after becoming concerned when she hadn't seen Kelly in a while. After that, Kelly briefly showed herself at an upstairs window. That would be the last time anyone would see Kelly Ann Bates alive. Now we are in April 16th, 1996. When police officers arrived at the shared home of James Smith and Kelly Ann Bates, they found blood in every room in various different stages of settling. The 17-year-old had in fact drowned in the bathtub, but she had also been tied up. They also found evidence that she had previously been tied to a radiator by her hair at one point. She was emaciated. She had lost at least 65 pounds and clearly had gone out with, gone without water for several days. Kelly had many visible injuries to her body that to police it was clear immediately that this was not an accidental drowning. And James Smith was arrested for Kelly Ann's murder. Good. Fucker. Kelly, oh, just wait. Kelly's body was taken in for an autopsy. And William Lauer, the pathologist who examined her, her body said, quote, in my career, I have examined almost 600 victims of homicide, but never come across injuries so extensive, unquote. The injuries that he found on Kelly's body were reported as follows. Scalding to her buttocks and her left leg. Burning on her thigh caused by application of a hot iron. A fractured arm. Multiple stab wounds caused by knives, forks, and scissors. Including stab wounds inside her mouth. Both of her hands were crushed. There was mutilation of her ears, eyes, sorry, ears, nose, eyebrows, mouth, lips, and genitalia. 
I want someone to do that to this man. But, oh, I'm not done. Wounds caused by a spade and pruning shears. Partial scalping. Both of her kneecaps were busted. She couldn't walk at all. And the most horrifying of all, both of her eyes had been gouged out. Oh my God. No less than five days before she had drowned in the bathtub. What? Yeah. She sat with her eyes in that condition for five days before he finally put her out of her misery. Yes. What a what someone hit this guy with a fucking truck. Like Uh, yeah, yeah, 100 percent The like these are some of the worst injuries I have like I've come across yet researching any of my cases. Like unbelievable. And to top it off, they also found evidence that after her eyes had been removed, he had made stab like puts like he had stabbed her inside of the empty sockets. Oh my god, that is pure torture. I how like the oh god, the words. I don't like it's nuts, like crazy. She was tortured for months. She was disfigured. The pain that this poor girl had to endure would have been unbearable. And this was not just a case of one or two violent outbursts. This was long-term torture and abuse. It was yeah. possibly like a daily occurrence. Yeah. Well, and what's that? What, what's that syndrome called? Like when you're so Stockholm abused? syndrome. Yeah, Stockholm syndrome. Like at that point, she's almost so beaten that you know someone needed to intervene and save her. Yeah. Uh, this literal piece of garbage denied that he ever intended to kill Kelly. Fuck off. Wow, seriously. No, I didn't intend to kill her. Just, you know, make her suffer unbearably. Yeah. Until she died of her own, like, what? What? (laughs) Yeah. He also claimed that many of her injuries were self-inflicted and that she would often dare him to hurt her. Oh, my God. He claimed that's why he gouged out her eyes because she <laughs> dared him to do it. Like, you're just an idiot at that point. Like, this yeah. makes me mad. He also claimed that at the time he hadn't realized that she was dead because she would often play dead to scare him. I just can't. <laughs> to scare him? Right off. <laughs> This, this is like the lowest form of human trash, honestly. Yeah. uh, And like the fact that even things, I'm baffled. I'm baffled. Continue. Oh, believe it or not, he pled not guilty to her murder. Sorry, I can't help but laugh. <clears throat> he he pled not guilty. So he not then guilty. he's got to put the their family through a trial and everything, and they have to hear all these details. Oh Excellent. yeah, yeah. And during that trial, he would say that Kelly quote would put me through hell, winding me up, 
unquote. Really. She put him through hell. This motherfucker tortured her, gouged out her eyes at least five days before murdering her, but she put him through hell. What's that form of torture where, like, washboarding? Is that what it is? <laughs> yes. We do that to this guy? I um, mean, is that a crime to say? Maybe we shouldn't publicize that. But <laughs> <laughs> Theoretically speaking. Theoretically speaking, I feel like we should. He claimed that Kelly taunted him about his dead mother and would intentionally harm herself in an attempt to make her injuries look worse. And when asked why he beat her, stabbed her, and blinded her, he would say that she, that she dared him to do it. He tried to play victim. All the while, many women, many other women who had encountered him in his abuse, took the stand at his trial and painted a picture of a misogynistic man who was obsessively jealous and violent and controlling. The prosecution described to the jury a horrifying scene of three weeks of torture, showing them the photos of her injury. Uh. He, and he also, like, and also described to them how during her attacks, Kelly and pleaded for her life in vain. Like, Luckily, this is what I mean. What a dick move to do the whole not guilty shit and have this yeah. trial. Like, the family and make the parents look at these photos. Oh, that makes my heart hurt. Mine too. It's awful. Luckily, they got a jury of not idiots. Wow, really? And he was found guilty of Kellyanne Bates' murder yeah. and was sentenced to life in prison. James Patterson Smith was eligible for parole as of this year. Ooh. I have yeah. looked and I've looked and I can't even find any recent updates. And as far as I know, he hasn't even applied for parole yet. But he would be 73 years old now. For I'm all saying. We could also just push him down the stairs. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> means also, that yeah, because of how horrific the photos were, following the trial, the jury was offered counseling to help deal with the distress of having to see those photos of Kelly's injuries and hearing of the violence she endured. Every single one of them accepted the counseling. I don't um, doubt that. That's a pretty heavy topic I, in itself. I for them, too. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome that they did that. Yeah. It is awesome. So yeah, that's that is the case of Kelly Ann Bates. This is pretty heavy. So I think it's important that we mention also that abuse comes in many different forms. A new abuse knows no gender, abuse knows no age, and abuse is not specific to romantic relationships. Absolutely. 100%. I for example, I remember a case that happened here in, it actually was, um, it ended up happening in, I think it was like Saskatchewan or something, but uh, it did involve, like the people that were involved were originally from Calgary. So I remember when this happened, it happened several years ago, and the victim of this case 
he's he's protected by a publication ban due to sexual assault. So I'm going to refer to him as DL for this, but DL was repeatedly beaten, tortured, and sexually assaulted and held captive by his roommate over several months. This was two straight males. They were both healthy men. So the two had met and become roommates in 2008 with plans to start a moving company together. And between 2008 and 2010, Dustin administered daily beatings to DL, which included choking him until he went unconscious. Daily, he was doing this. Jesus. Yes. Imagine what that's doing to the chemicals in his brain, like, on an everyday basis. Yes. And in 2009, DL was admitted to a hospital with a crushed eye socket and claimed a fridge had fallen on him while he was at work. But during x-rays, it showed that he had many broken bones in varying different stages of healing. They also found lacerations in his spleen, in his liver, and small intestine. Nothing came of this. I suppose they believed his story of the refrigerator falling on him, but who knows? This case really baffled me because you just don't hear about this so often. I don't remember hearing about that at all, but like that's insane. Like I wonder what I'd be I'd be interested to know. Not that it matters, but just like for the psychology part of it, like where their relationship started from and how it got to that point. Like, and let me be the first to say, Brittany, you were a great roommate. (laughs) Thank you. You were a really good roommate too. There's no choking, no torturing, you guys. That no, there was only McDonald's thrown onto the roof (laughs) and one of those cans, Pringle cans, full of change. Yes, because some one of us is extremely petty, and it was me. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey, girl, I'm petty. I'm just as petty. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but anyways, that, that's insane. And yeah, like, yeah. obviously not a romantic relationship, or as far as anybody knows. But, you know, like, just, you know, in proximity or living together or whatever, like, abuse, yeah. abuse right? Yeah, I'm sure not only along with the physical abuse, but especially considering how intense that was, I can only imagine the the psychological abuse um, endured by the hands of this guy. The thing that in 2010, DL's family stopped hearing from him when Dustin and DL moved from Calgary to Regina. Uh, the residents living around them in their new apartment said that they heard disturbing sounds coming from the, their apartment. And in 2010, DL's family filed a missing persons report. However, they filed in Calgary because they didn't know that he moved to Regina. Yeah. So nobody had heard from him until one day in 2010, Dustin dropped DL off at a hospital in Regina, left him there. He once weighed 242 pounds. When he was dropped off at the hospital, he only weighed 87 pounds. He was disfigured, missing part of his tongue, if I remember correctly, and suffering brain damage due to repeated beatings and being knocked unconscious. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like I said, like I remember this so vividly because of the fact that this is a very, very horrific case of abuse and torture but it doesn't involve a romantic partnership like it's like i researched it because i was like maybe there's something missing here but no as far as i can find they were just two two guys and this dustin guy is a freaking psycho yeah it's just so scary 
you just, you never know what people are capable of. Abuse is scary and it, it comes in all different shapes and all different forms. And there's so many resources out there that people may not know about. But if, if you or somebody you know is experienced any type of abuse, we will include some of those resources in our show notes. But I can say for a fact that here in Alberta, there are a few different things in place that help victims. Recently, they passed a law called Claire's Law. It is a disclosure to protect against domestic violence. This law gives Albertans who feel they are at the risk of domestic violence the ability to obtain information about their partners to make informed decisions about their safety. So basically what it is is if you feel, if you're if you have any concerns at all about your like somebody that you are romantically involved in, you can get a background check on them. I remember hearing about that, yeah. So this was a, a new law that... Uh, law that was passed a couple just in the last couple of years here and it's alberta specifically from what i could find i couldn't find that anywhere else in canada as of yet has this um i'll include all the information on claire's law in our show notes there was a situation where i was in not to like bring this about me or whatever but i wish that i had known about claire's law at the time Mm-hmm. But sure, we've all been there, but now this exists and we will put all that information um, in our show notes for you guys so that you, you have those resources. I also know that in Canada, assault charges can be laid by the police at their discretion. However, in cases of domestic assault, charges are always laid by the police as they have a zero tolerance for domestic assault here in Canada. It is then up to the prosecution to decide whether or not they will move forward with these charges. And in these cases, the victims themselves cannot have the charges dropped. So in any situation where assault is involved, even if the victim of the assault chooses not to press charges, the police still can. And in domestic assault cases, they will still press charges. We will include um, resources in our show notes uh, for this episode. Um, I think more people experience violence at one point in their life than we think. Um, Maybe we should do a roll call here. Who out of the three of us have experienced abuse of some sort in their lives? Oh my God. Me. Present. Present. Right? And it's just like... Every situation is different, obviously, and I feel that a lot of the time people are too scared to come forward. Like, I think that's that's the, like, general... Yeah, and I also I think, like, I mean, you know, in some cases, you, you've grown up with it your whole life because you've, you've seen it with your parents or your grandparents, and, you know, you get into relationships that are similar, and it's just all you've known, right? So you become so desensitized to it that, you know, you... Like psychologically, you don't believe that you you deserve any better, or you believe that you deserved it, or you know whatever. But I mean, abuse is abuse, and nobody deserves deserves to be hurt physically or mentally or emotionally or whatever. So, and if you're somebody on the outside that sees it um, with a friend or a family member, you know, do what you can to speak up too. If you see it, say well, that that's it, right? They might not have the ability to have a voice anymore. You don't know how abused or how far it goes. So maybe they need that help too, right? Right. And abuse is something that should never be ignored because obviously this case is a very, very extreme case of it, but you just never know to what extent somebody 
can go to with their abuse. Let me just say this one more time. You don't deserve it. You deserve better. Thank you, Christy. Could have said it better myself. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Great sound effects. (laughs) That's the case of Kelly and Bates and our little rant there at the end about how you don't deserve it. Well, would it be an episode of Homebrew Murder Crew if there wasn't some kind of rant in there? It's true. Absolutely (laughs) not. Or some, like, personal information being given up here. (laughs) Well, Megan, thanks for being the one of us that got their shit together to make an episode. (laughs) I'm so sorry about how messy it was. It's, I'm kind of, like you said, Christy, we're kind of rusty. We are rusty and like yeah guys um we're sorry for the amount of time that's passed since our last episode it's just as we said earlier shit has gone down in the last little bit and you know it's just been a little bit hairy (laughs) just a little hairy (laughs) are you guys okay i don't know if i'm okay (laughs) i don't know if i'm okay I'm fine. I'm like it's episode fine, of Ross with a margarita fine. <laughs> we promise that one of these days we're gonna do a non-remote recording. We're gonna get the we're gonna get the team back together. We'll get our shit together one of these times. Well, is anyone else getting our shit together? It's like we honestly can't go even five days without one of us not getting sick. Yeah. Oh, this flu season's been the worst. Or having a menti B or something like that. Thank you guys for joining us for this episode. Yes, you can reach us on our socials. We're on Instagram at Homebrew Murder Crew. We're on Facebook at Homebrew Murder Crew. And if you have any cases you'd like us to cover or you want to send us some feedback, you can email us at homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.